You're listening to In My Network with Yelit. So excited for this episode today. Today I have Evan Patterson with me, who is someone that is very special to me, actually. I have known Evan for quite some time. We met through SDR Nation, which was awesome. I knew Evan back then as an SDR. He's transformed into a marketer, a content creator, social media guru, whatever you want to call him, call him. But in the end of the day, this is the dude that always just tells me to go ahead and do it and always motivates me and has some great advice. So I'm super excited to have you here. Super excited for this opportunity. And yeah, Evan, how are you? I'm doing great. And damn, that is that is quite the intro. That was amazing. Uh, no, you, you're, you're, you're a superstar. You motivate me a lot, too. I just love just seeing you grow and like seeing the things you do. And I, you've told me about, about your personal life, too. Like I envy your time management skills. I envy your perseverance. I envy your creativity. Um, you are confident as hell, and I love that. You know, I, I, I that's that's honestly why I've been able to like stick around with you so long because I learned just from you just as much as you learned from me. So thank you so mm-hmm. much. Um, you know, on top of that, though, I, I I'm doing pretty good. You know, I can't complain right now. Well, I, I can. I, I I'm known for complaining, but <laughs> I can always find something to complain about. But I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> Can't we all? Can't we all? Well, don't worry. We'll do the complaining afterwards. Uh, we'll keep it as like bloopers. <laughs> if anyone wants to listen to those, then they can have them too. But you're too kind. Thank you for your kind words. And we'll just go ahead and jump right into it because I have so many things that I kind of want to go ahead and cover today. So first of all, starting from the beginning, how did you get into tech? How did this all happen? It's a good question. Um, and it's and honestly, um, it is. It's blurry because it's been a minute, but um, <laughs> but to be honest, I was working in insurance for quite some time, and um, and my my boyfriend at the time we wanted to move to um, um, Chicago from a small town in Michigan, and uh, he was working at a tech startup um, uh, remotely in a completely different role than than you and I. He's a, like a data engineer and stuff, but um, I had gotten a glimpse, you know, of seeing what life was like in tech startups through him working at one. And um, he worked remotely, like, for years before COVID, like, since, like, 2016. And um, so when I was looking for jobs, I was looking for, you know, flexible work, and I was looking for a tech role and everything, and um, and driving back and forth from Detroit to Chicago, and um, getting um, a job in tech, as many people know, it can be very hard to get your first job in tech. Um, I don't have a college degree, so that added another level of difficulty. And then um, I didn't live in Chicago. And as anybody knows, when you're trying to move to a new city, getting a job in a city um, uh, that you don't live in is very difficult, especially when you're very young and early in your career. Um, you know, so I took a contract job at a logistics company and uh, just to pay the bills, just so we had something to put on the, the application. Um, and then while I was um, for the apartment, you know, and so while I was uh, working there, I started networking and mingling with people in Chicago, still knowing that like logistics wasn't going to be my path. I knew that it was just something to pay the bills. And I found um, uh, Mbroker, shout out to Mbroker, um, and it's an insurance technology startup. So it was a nice like foot out the door of the insurance world because like, okay, I know insurance. I I don't know tech yet, but at least I know half the job where usually when you go into a company, you don't know either. Right. So I was like, if all I'm missing is working in the world of tech, 
Um, I could probably get in here pretty quickly since I know insurance and I knew insurance was an underemployed field. So like, oh, this bright eye and bushy tailed, you know, young 20 something's got a background in insurance. They're going to hire me in a heartbeat. And they did. Um, and after that, it was like, okay, I've got tech under my belt. Now I can explore different types of tech now that I can say I've worked in tech. And so that's how I moved in there was like, let me just take what I already know. I knew it wasn't going to be an insurance for forever. And Broker didn't know that. Actually, in hindsight, I didn't know that. But um, um, what I do know is that like getting tech on your resume made everything after that easier. So anybody's trying to break into tech and it's you're having a problem, just know that once you do get into it, it will be incredibly easy to stay in it. Yeah, that makes sense. So you just kind of have to like slither your way in there, get what you can get and build up from there. Like yeah, yeah. That. Your first I mean, tech job's not your dream job. It's your stepping yeah. stone to the dream job. <laughs> no, it makes sense. I mean, even me, you know, I see myself now as an SDR, which hopefully I will grow from that. But it took me a few roles to actually get to an SDR position, tech yeah. roles that I'm actually enjoying. So it's uh, it's a long road, but it's worth it in the end of the day. Got to get Always. that check. Yep, yep. Got to get that check. So. You had your your role as an SDR, um, which you did for quite some time, correct? Yeah, yeah. SDR in tech for almost two years, I would say. And then I was doing sales dev as my job or part of my job outside of tech for at least five years. Yeah, so it's mm -hmm. been almost a decade. Wow, wow. And what exactly happened? I mean, first of all, I don't know if I'm answering this question myself because I know that the SDR <laughs> role can be intense. It can be draining, like... I don't know anyone that stayed in it for more than like three, four years, because I think that's just you would break down mentally. But for <laughs> you, what, like instead of, say, for example, going on to becoming an AE, which is even more stressful, but you get a bigger check at the end of the month. What was it that made you kind of just divert to marketing? Yeah, I, I think it comes down to, you know, as we all know, SDR role is a it's a tricky thing to talk about because there's more than one type of SDR. There's more than one type of way to be an SDR. And it's not even, there's one best way. It's, it could depend on the product, the demographic, you, um, the business you're in, a, a thousand different things. The, the era, what's trending, you know what I mean? Um, so um, the roles that I did the best in, as I, I didn't smash quota in every SDR role. But let's get that straight out of the book, like straight out of the gate. There, I could tell you which SDR role I sucked in, okay? And it was the SDR roles that were sales led. And I am somebody that does very well in like a product led, community led, content led, marketing style sales dev strategy, right? I'm an okay at best cold caller. Um, I will never claim to be a proficient cold caller. I have no interest in becoming a proficient cold caller. If anything, I have interest in making cold calling dead. I, it's not dead, but if, if by the time I'm 40, I'd like it to be illegal. Um, so um, the point being, um, all those things put together made me self-analyze and become self-aware of like, okay, I am good at doing sales things in a marketing fashion on top of that i was freelancing in marketing i was doing graphics design i was doing content creation um you know when i was a teenager i made a gaming community um, that had a few hundred thousand members by the time it was closed and got sold um you know i've been doing influencer marketing affiliate marketing and stuff out of hobbies and out of um freelancing so it was only a matter of time until like i had racked enough um freelancing um, experience combined with doing the SDR role in a very marketing way 
um, to get my first full-time marketing job as a content and community marketer over at Troops, um, which mm-hmm. um, I love them so much. And actually, thanks to the education and experience at Troops, I was able to become the head of content community in my current role at Trender. So, um, you know, th- those things put together are like why I leaned that marketing route. Another thing is I love getting people excited. I love getting people hyped up and, I, and, and you know, I, I, I've done comedy. My, my thing, one of the best things for me that I'm addicted to, um, quite literally like a drug, is watching people smile and laugh. It makes me happier than anything in the world. Um, so in marketing, I get a lot of opportunity to do that quickly and at scale. And like the minute I can do it, I can ride that high and go on to the next. I think that's why I did so well as an SDR, because your job quite literally is to get people excited about something and then pass them on while maintaining that excitement. After that, it's not your job anymore, right? So as a, and you're doing that like on a one-to-one scale as an SDR. So now that I can do that on a one-to-many scale as a community marketer, it's it's that drug times 10, to be yeah. quite literal. Wow, I, I can relate to that. That does make sense. I mean... Yeah, you have those great SDR calls that just go the way that you want them to, where they come in inbound and they're like ready for you. Everything goes great. You have that awesome feeling. And then you're like, bye, on to the next. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Now I get to do that in the hundreds versus the tens, you know, and I, and that's what I, that, that's why being an AE, I didn't get the chance to, I wouldn't have the chance to do that, you know, as much. Yeah. yeah that does make sense. So right now, as the head of content and community at Trender AI, what does your kind of day-to-day look like now? Because I'm sure that completely flipped and I'm sure it's like <laughs> packed with tons of different shit that you're doing. But like, yeah. I'm really interested to hear because content and community, so community meaning like the inner community in the company or the outside community that you're building right now, what does that role <laughs> even mean and what do you do? I wish I knew what it meant too. You tell me. <laughs> No, but to be quite honest, um, my day-to-day is, Trender.ai, as at the time of recording, is um, pre-release, right? We have a whopping zero customers, right? We, we have been in a very successful beta phase since, um, like, Q2 of 2021 of last year. The product has been in development since March of 2021, so we've been around for literally less than a year. Um, but, um, you know, with launch approaching... Um, and getting ready for that, my job is quite literally building every single thing at the same time. So it's it's the referral program. It's the affiliate marketing program. It's a reseller program. It's an influencer strategy. It's working with the PR firm to figure out getting our story pitched on all these different news sites and working with influencers. It's getting ready to launch our own podcast. It's sourcing potential co-marketing partners for when we're ready to pull the trigger that relationships are already warmed up, right? Because I don't want to wait until launch to go, hey, let's work together. I want to go to launch and go, hey, we've been chatting for a month and a half. You already like us. We already like you. Now let's work together, right? It'll be faster, right? It's stuff like that. It's hiring more people. It's training people to be prepared for when we go to market, um, which is not too far off. Um, uh, so that that's a lot of my day right now. It's also like, we don't know what content's going to work yet. I think one thing people don't understand about content marketing is your content pillars, you just don't pick content pillars. You discover what your content pillars are going to be. When you have a big, when you have a company that hasn't had a content marketer until last December, 
all you do for the first like quarter of working at the company is just throw shit at the wall and see what's fixed. And then in hindsight, you discover what your content pillars are going to be. You don't choose your content pillars about data. We didn't have any data. So my job currently is get the data so we can figure out what our content strategy is going to be. So um, like my day is all over the place right now. I, I am doing things that you would find in an SDR role. I'm doing things you'd find in customer success, customer enablement. I'm, I run the, I manage the interns. So I'm a coach, I'm a manager, I'm a boss, I'm an intern. You know, we just had a new head of demand start this week. Um, so now it's like getting her up to speed, right? Like I'm not her boss, we're equals, but like my boss, Betsy's too busy. So I, right now, because we're getting ready for launch, she's the product woman, right? So I'm having to get Jackie caught up to speed with everything or head of demand gen, you know? So my day is spread out like crazy. Um, I will say that my, my day-to-day -day is not a really good indicator of most content and community marketers days because most people that are ahead of content community aren't at a early stage pre-launch tech startup. So if you are an early stage pre-launch pre no, pre tech startup, you probably relate and you're like, preach, you know? But if you're at a series A or later tech startup, you're probably thinking I sound like I'm crazy, you know? And you'd be right to think that. <laughs> so, um... So yeah, my, I don't. I wish I had a way to, to more succinctly say what I do, but right now, what I do changes every hour on the hour. <laughs> I would say, I mean, if you give it back to me, like I would just, if you were to just say all of those things and I didn't know exactly your role, I would say, okay, he's a co-founder. Because technically, <laughs> I mean, you're like, like, okay, so they have the product and they have a name for it and whatever, but you're building up everything else. So technically you're like, founding the company in a sense or a co-builder I don't know what you want to call it but if you're doing that much then you should definitely have like some kind of like C in there in the front <laughs> uh, Betsy I hope you listen to this call <laughs> no but I, I do I work closely with the co-founders um Betsy uh Billhorn who I've mentioned her name a few times here um, she is the co-founder of Trender who um, one of the co-founders and she happens to be my, my she's who I report to Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I worked very closely with her. I try my best to take as much off of her plate as I can because with the product launch coming around the corner, right? Like her expertise is like, she's great at a lot of different things, but her forte really is in product. Right. Um, another thing is, um, with, uh, with the nature of our product, I am the ICP of our product. Mm -hmm. So that actually, is a blessing and a curse, right? Because I get to use our product, right? That's fantastic. I get the benefit of using Trender. Um, I even use it for my freelancing clients because the more use study, more use cases and more case studies that I can develop um, uh, for Trender, the better, while also achieving my freelancing work is great. It's unparalleled tasking. Um, but the good thing is I can also report bugs because we, we are in beta. I can give feedback internally of like, hey, as somebody that we would sell our tool to who uses our tool more than anybody who works at Trender, this is what I'm experiencing. Um, and that's probably why our hiring plan includes hiring a lot of people that also would happen to be our ICP. Because mm -hmm. the more people we can that get to use the tool, the more feedback we can get. That's one of the beauties of working at a company like Trender as compared to like, you know, um, you know, medical device company. The people who work in a medical device company are seldomly actually using the medical devices. I'm sure they have a team dedicated for that. 
but it's not like the sales rep or the marketers are using the things that they're selling or marketing. Um, so that was one of the things that attracted me to this role was because I don't have to do research on the product. I'm using the product every day already. Yeah, yeah that's, that's awesome. I mean, it's beneficial for you and for them. So why not? I mean, hearing all those things that you do as well. And the fact that, you know, you really push on your own personal branding, how do you actually find the kind of energy and the creativity to consistently like perform like you mentioned all those things that you're building out where do you go to find these answers because in the end of the day i mean you're not like some 70 year old man that's been in marketing for years so <laughs> have you just like gotten all this information in no time are you just learning along the way like how do you consistently stay up with that because for me i have to make like i don't know i committed to three LinkedIn posts a week. And sometimes it kills me. Sometimes I'm just like, Oh my God, I have nothing in my brain. So all of that plus your own how. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. I'm not going to lie. Cause I, I do content for, for, um, for Trender, but I also mm -hmm. do content for other side of sales. Um, I do content for Trainio. Uh, I do content for RepView, right? I, I have a lot of freelancing clients. Uh, and then coach people on how to do this. And um, honestly, in hindsight, where it comes from is I just, first and foremost, I really, 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 really love what I do. Um, it, it doesn't feel like work as much when you do it and love it. Uh, when I think back to what I did when I was like 12, 13, 14 years old, I sound like a complete nerd. Um, mm -hmm. Because I was kind of honestly doing what I'm doing at Trender for free for fun. Um, I created gaming communities. I created the websites. I wrote all the copy on the sites. I created the social media pages. I was the kid in Photoshop that my parents paid for because I begged them for Christmas instead of getting me a video game system. I wanted Photoshop at age 11. Um, you know, so, um, and I would go in there and make pretty pictures and stuff to use, you know, um, uh, for social media and stuff. And I, I was just doing it as a way to make friends. I was using it as a way to feel less lonely because I was a very lonely kid. I was very miserable and sad, actually. But um, I ended up being a much happier teenager as a result of those things. Um, little did I know that 10 years later, um, 15 years later, 20 years later, that these hobbies and things I was doing as therapy would turn into a profession. <laughs> um, so it is, it's practice, um, I could say in hindsight, right? Because as a child, I got to learn how to do that um, 10 years before most people. Um, and then it's also like just being incredibly self-aware. Um, I am... I am the the weird person that has to like, if my bed is not made in the morning, I can't go to a meeting. It's that silly because That's my bed's me. right there. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I try, there's certain little like rituals that I need to have done. Uh, as somebody who has post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, it also is like, you know, going for walks. Uh, I live in Chicago. We have a blizzard that has happened. Um, we're going to get more snow tonight. Best believe I still walked in that snow because if I don't go get out of this house, if I don't get out of these four walls, I'm going to go crazy. Uh, I'm going to lack motivation, um, which therefore lack creativity. So my work is going to suffer and it's domino effect, right? Um, yesterday and the day before, I was telling my boss, Betsy, I was like, I was like, I have got no motivation. I am at motivation zero. It's no one's fault. And I made sure because I didn't want her like freaking out, like, what did we do? Um, mm -hmm. Because it wasn't anyone else's fault, but like, but giving myself the permission 
to have a day where 100% just means I'm getting the, I'm going to meetings and getting the administrative tasks done at a minimum, like giving myself the permission to do the minimum, if the minimum happens to be the maximum, allows me to have days where I'm able to go like, you know, max power on everything here. You know, today is one of those days for me. Tomorrow, I already can tell it's going to be one of those days for me. So it's really just leaning into the fact that like, I'm not a cog in a machine is why I'm able to produce content consistently because I can batch create it on those days. I lean into my days where I'm a bit more manic and euphoric, you know, why my mental health has so many ups and downs. So instead of panicking and being angry at the fact that I have these ups and downs, I lean into the ups and downs. And that's how I'm able to create content for all these different brands consistently is by just being self-aware and lots of practice. Uh, when it comes to the non-content stuff, having a strong network as a result of doing all the things I just mentioned allows for you to meet that 70-year-old who's been in marketing for 50 years. And then you can learn from their mistakes and the things that did well from them. And then you can learn from your own mistakes and your own practice, combine those two things together. And now here I am, a 27-year-old content marketer who is performing with the leagues of people that have been doing this for as long as I've been alive. You know, and, you know, it's a not so humble brag, but that's how you get there. Yeah, I mean, listen, first of all, kudos to you and really like having a strategy in place clearly works. I mean, that was kind of my next question is asking you about, you know, that content creation. How does that work? Do you just kind of go with flow? Are you batching these? I mean, for your own like personal posts too, let's talk about that for a minute. So, yeah, I know that you talk a lot of times about experiences that you went through things that happened, do you batch create those? Do you just kind of like say, oh, okay, today I'm going to post on LinkedIn. Let me come up with something that happened to me. Cause like, for me, it's like, if I just say, I'm going to come up with something that happened to me, I'm like, nothing's ever happened to me, but that's a lie. You know, so many things have happened, but I just, <laughs> and then when I try to batch create it, I'm like, no, I don't know. It just doesn't work out. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear, like, how do you, I know you have these great days and then you go ahead and do it, but where do you find those time, the time on those great days too, for your own personal stuff? Yeah. I, I block time on my calendar a lot. And there's also just like, because I like it and I find it fun. Like you'll see me like, I, okay. I am a social media marketer. I know that I shouldn't be posting my award-winning LinkedIn post that I'm trying to target to Americans at 9 PM in Chicago time. Um, you know, uh, I have a lot of audience overseas, you know, uh, you are one of my favorite people in the world and we're in different hemispheres, you know what I mean? Um, and, um, but the majority of my audience is American or Canadian. So I try to publish when that happens. Right. But I get some of the best inspiration at like two o'clock in the morning, you know? So like, mm -hmm. I will write it and then save it and then post it the next day. Um, and I do that because a lot of my content is, um, if you're a social media marketer, you already know what I'm talking about here, but you can't use the social media scheduling tool on a personal LinkedIn account a lot of the times. And if you can, you can't tag individual names in that post. And I typically need to because of the nature of the story I'm telling. So I have tried and failed when it comes to social media technology. Um, so, and that's, that's not the technology's fault. That's LinkedIn's fault. So if you're a social media marketer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But anyways, to answer your original question, I, um, you know, if I'm talking about something with you or with my boss, Betsy, or with a client or with coworkers, 
my boyfriends, you know, um, I have two boyfriends, I'm polyamorous. When I'm on a date, you know, sometimes they'll say something that'll remind me of something or it'll, um, oh, that's something I can write about later. I might make a note of like two words or just a quick sentence, you know, um, um, of something that reminds me of something that I couldn't uh, write about. I'm storing inspiration. Um, and I'll put that in like a, like a Slack message to myself and I'll constantly have that reminder that I keep pushing to tomorrow. <laughs> it's not a very clean, organized way of doing it, but like find your own way. But like, that's what works for me is I store my inspiration. So those days where like, I'm not having something naturally come to me that morning, right? Like some days I wake up, like I know what I'm writing today. But then other days I'm like, all right, the well's dry. Let's go take a look at your storage of inspiration that you've created over the past few weeks and months. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I was, I was talking to my boyfriend, Douglas, about that. That's something I'll write about today. And then I'll write about it. You know, I'm giving myself um, inspiration. Um, I'm, I'm kind of coaching myself two weeks in the future. I'm preparing future me for writer's block. Um, and, and listen, this does not mean you won't have writer's block. Um, I still have my days where it's just not going to happen. Um and that's fine. Give yourself permission to have those days. There, there's forcing yourself and pushing yourself are two very different things. And when it starts to become forced, the audience can tell. And I don't want that. Um, I would be a hypocrite as a person who has made a brand on this um, if I forced myself, right? So, you know, and and, I, and my, my boss, Betsy, is going to listen to this podcast and go on, Evan, you're, you are a hypocrite because you never take your own advice. You're, you're, you're <laughs> not doing any of the things you just said to tell people to do, which is true. But, <laughs> but yeah, so the biggest thing is storing inspiration and, you know, like in between meetings, I'll just quickly write it up because you'll be surprised how much faster you are at creating the content when you have the inspiration stored. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I mean, you're actually the person that taught me kind of about going when I was looking into becoming better at writing, which I'm still not really better at because I haven't taken your advice into practice, um, but about rewriting content, kind of finding things that you like and trying to rewrite it to be your own. Um, so for people that are just kind of starting off with LinkedIn, haven't really made any content, would you suggest kind of Maybe say, for example, going and checking out a blog that they like and trying to kind of shorten that into a LinkedIn post and do something like that. There's a thousand ways. It depends on the person. I think that's the hard part is um, there's no one size fits all here. For some people, you know, um, recapping or giving your thoughts on a blog, a podcast, a video, um, another person's LinkedIn post, even, you know, um, mm -hmm. writing something inspired by something, you know, imitation is not inherently bad. It's flattery, mm -hmm. if anything, it's not like you're copying and pasting, you know, and if you're really worried, just put in the first comment during the post, this was inspired by so and so. I've never met a person who is offended by being told that they inspired someone to do something. And if you do find someone who's offended by that, tell me because I'll kick their ass, you know, <laughs> but like, you know, we're supposed to make the next generation of everything better than the previous generation. So if the next generation of content marketers is better than me, then I know I've done my job, right? I want you yeah. to look down on me. That's the goal, actually. So um, so that's, that is why I always tell people, like, lean into what gives you inspiration and start there. I don't care if that's 
date night. I don't care if that's you at the dark ball, the bar playing darts. I don't care if that's you in bed stoned watching your favorite RuPaul's Drag Race season on repeat. I don't care if that's you on LinkedIn watching people create content that inspires you. I don't care if that's your silly YouTube video that you're in like the fifth murder mystery documentary of. I don't care what it is that gives you the inspiration. Just lean into what gives you inspiration and go from there. You just mentioned too many things that I do on a regular basis. So I should definitely be a very, very And that's the, that's the community marketer in me is tailoring what I'm doing to the community, which is you. <laughs> love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. B2B influencers. This is like this new thing. I mean, it's not yep. that new, but like I'm seeing it pop up even more and more. I mean, I think I saw a few weeks ago too, Devin Reed. Uh, posing yeah. with some shoes that he received and I was like oh shit that's crazy that man won't respond to my dms <laughs> <laughs> well maybe he'll hear this and he'll I think he's so cool it. but yes he is, he is <laughs> definitely but on that like where do you kind of see the future of that because when we look at regular influencers like instagram influencers that's like blown up you could be the biggest loser as a kid and now today you have like 10 million followers and you know you're everywhere <laughs> and everyone wants you and you're like a revlon person and a l'oreal person and a this person so how do you think that's going to translate in the b2b world yeah i think the b2b influencer world is growing because of the rise of nano and micro influencers um, which are like those people of like, you know, five to 10,000 followers, right? Or that 10,000 to 100,000 followers, right? Um, p uh, businesses in the B2C world are learning that the influencers that are micro and nano and niche and hyper engagement, like high engagement rates with their audience actually are a higher return of investment than with like a Kim K. Love her, by the mm -hmm. way. But like, you know, people follow her for the sake of following her. But yeah. like when people follow a nano or a micro influencer, they're usually following with a reason, right? Mm -hmm. So um, so in the B2B world, that translates very, very well, right? Because sales in B2B are usually further and farther between than they are in B2C. Even if you're targeting SMEs, right? Like, like we typically target the individual at a large company, not the whole company, right? Or we're targeting the small mom and pa shop or we're targeting the content creator, right? Like my business is not targeting, you know, let's sell this to all of Google, right? Well, let's sell this to the sales rep at Google, not all of Google. You know what yeah. I mean? So even then it's still less frequent sales than Coca-Cola, you know, or Murad, you know, or Texas Roadhouse or Applebee's or Walmart or Amazon, right? It's still less frequency regardless, right? And it only gets more dramatic when you talk about Salesforce and Google and Amazon Web Services, not the actual products. It only gets mm -hmm. more obvious when you're talking about Oracle, right? So IBM. So when you have things like that, where you need product subject matter experts as the ICP, because the sales are fewer and farther between and they're bigger tickets, so on and so forth. There are more complicated sales. We've got contracts. We've got lawyers need to get involved, right? Because of legal requirements. We've got laws, literally GDPR, the list goes on, right? Um, nano influencers and micro influencers become a great way to build that social proof and that credibility to make this long, can't really speed it up any more than already has been sped up sales process, mm -hmm. less miserable for the buyer, right? Because now, could you imagine if you have an influencer who's got 10,000 followers on LinkedIn and you're trying to sell uh, a CRM and 70% of their following 
is sales leaders and sales ops people, people that would buy the CRM. Mm -hmm. um, those people uh, are going to see this sales influencer and then see that they are a fan of this product. They're going to get hyped up about it. Then the organization that sells the CRM can send their BDRs to all the people that are interacting with that sales influencer and take that already amount of excitement and social proof and turn that into a sales opportunity because you've already gotten down one hurdle, which is, do they trust you? Mm -hmm. You've already built that trust because you paid an influencer to build it for you. All the SDR has to do is, is add more to that. The foundation has been laid. Now they're putting up the walls. Now they're adding the, the, the framework of the house here. You know, and then they're moving on to the next piece, which is when you start painting it and making it look pretty. And then the AE is the final go where they just, here's the keys, have a good day. You know, so yeah. I think um, that's the play that B2B influencers are going to have. It's not going to be like a Kim K hawking a skincare brand as much as that is a fantastic strategy. It's going to be, let's get the sales leader of 10,000 followers to say, hey, I use this tool and I like it. It would help you because it's helped me and go from there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, if something's helping you out too and you actually really like it and enjoy it and use it, why not? And I think that, I mean, I see it myself too when I see people like post things like, oh, what's your favorite way to reach out? And then people comment and they're like video. I'm like, mm, video, mm, nice to meet you, connect. So, yeah. you know, it's just those little things that you come in and you can come in in such a way, like you said this yourself. So you did this and now I'm just gonna help you. So it just makes your life a lot easier too. And I think that the more people that you have name dropping actual companies, the stronger the one for those companies gets because we just all want to be around people that we like and do the same things as them. That's just kind of our nature for the most part. So it's yeah. uh it's kind of a, a big win in that. Yeah. Sense. Like Vidyard, so, yeah. if you, that's where you are at, right. If they have a, if they have a customer of theirs that has 10,000, 20,000 followers and they post about SDR tactics, right. They obviously love video then. Right. Mm -hmm. I can't name an SDR leader who doesn't. So therefore, if, you know, they're like, hey, our SDR team does video, here's how they do it. And they use this tool to do everything I just explained it to you, right? Now every SDR and their brother's going to go to their boss going, I need that tool so mm -hmm. I can do this. They come running up to their boss, kind of like a kid does at Christmas, you know, like, <laughs> mom, dad, buy me this, you know, you know, Mr. Mrs. whatever you know manager here if you want me to hit quota you got to go buy vidyard because these people showed me how their team hit quota using vidyard you know yeah, that's sure. influencer I mean, marketing at its finest that bottom-up approach too is definitely it works in the end of the day if they're in the right company and those sdrs are respected in their company the leaders will usually hear them out and actually listen to kind of the advice or the things they're looking to get so i love that approach too but anyways wrapping up now i want to ask you a question what is your kind of end goal? Like you're here right now. Where are you looking to get to? Um, I've actually been having a lot of talks with uh, my boss, Betsy uh, Bill Horn about this and Joe Caprio over at Glasswing and um, uh, George Soto over at Reprise, um, uh, Tom Slocum at Red Genius, you know, I've been, and Asher early at Other Side of Sales um, and Sunil at uh, Trainio. I've had a lot of conversations about this lately because for a while this was the end goal um you know so i need a new end goal and 
you know, I, I really would love to, you know, hang around with, with Trender, get them grown, you know, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to be completely transparent. I've got stocks, right, in the company. So I really want to grow it, not just for the business, not just to make an impact in the marketing world, but also like for that paycheck, you know, inevitably yeah. in a few years that I can walk away with from the stocks, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I made my strategic moves. I chased those raises that everyone needs to chase. But I've hit that point in my career now where jumping for the $40,000 salary raise isn't a raise over the next five years because now I have mm -hmm. to be concerned with those things, right? So that's made having this conversation a little more tricky because time is my new currency. It's not dollars as much as it used to be. Mm -hmm. So for me, the things that have been coming through my mind are like, you know, I'd, I would love to be the marketing co-founder, right? Because like every startup has like three to four co-founders, right? And they all play their role, you know? And mm -hmm. I would love for somebody else to go, hey, I've got this great idea. I've got this guy's building it. I've got the idea on the business ops thing. We want you to be the market guy. We want you to be the go-to-market guy for the launch and the co-founding, right? Because I'm a builder. I am not a maintainer. Once a company mm -hmm. hits like series B or C, I I've probably. So, you know. For me, being the marketing-oriented co-founder of a new SaaS product, um, at least sometime in my 30s, which aren't that far away, I'm 27, would be fantastic. Um, in the in between now and then, I'd love to become like the VP of marketing or the VP of branding um, at Trender, ideally, uh, or at Betsy. I'm dropping hints, um, or other company um, after Trender, between Trender and whatever that happens. But um, but yeah, and then. All while doing that, um, that's like a career goal from a personal, professional side of things. Um, you know, the, the more times I can see that I have made a positive impact on the industry um, or on individuals, you know, it's why I'm an advisor at Trainio because, you know, there's, there's a thing lately where it's like, if you want to make change in the world, don't create a charity, create a business. Mm -hmm. um, and Trainio is all about getting people out of awful situations um you know living below the poverty line dangerous places in the world so on and so forth and getting them the skills getting them hired in tech which changes your life um financially medically for everything the whole your whole life changes when you break in the tech you know that's how you take 1000 families out of hunger that's how you create generational systemic positive change that's how you help you know you know uh biracial indigenous and people of color get out of the generational systemic racism that's been there that's how you help fix the gender equality pay gaps you know for women and non-binary and trans people throughout the world you know mm -hmm. um, and as a queer man like all of these things hit very home to me so you know ensuring that every step of my career um, as a freelancer and as a professional full-time and as just somebody who just likes to meet people like you and just be friends with people all over the world and absorb information. I just want to make sure that when, when I do die, oh, no, I'm if, whenever I do die, I just want to leave a legacy that I left people on this earth in a better situation than they came in. Wow, that's powerful. That's really powerful. And I think that you've really got the right vision because in the end of the day, there's so many people that just want to help and help and help. But 
in a way, if you help incorrectly, you can kind of disable those people too, and you're not really helping them. So instead of actually just giving them what they need all the time, teaching them how to actually get there. So it's yeah. like, you know, instead of buying someone the fish, teach him how to fish. I, I was just that. about to say, that's the, the old fashioned phrase. I could feed you for a day or I could teach you how to fish and feed you for a lifetime. I'd rather there do the latter of the two. Exactly. That's, uh, you know, building off for their families and, and the future so that they can continue teaching on. So I, I love that. I think you have an amazing vision. <laughs> I think that you'll definitely hit all those hopes and dreams of yours. Um, they will no longer be dreams. They will be your reality, just like where you are right now. I'm sure you were not necessarily expecting that maybe three years oh ago, no you're probably uh, like, four years ago i thought i capped out at bartender and in, in a nightclub <laughs> and to be fair by the way there's nothing wrong being a bartender in a nightclub i have friends that live here in chicago that are making as much money as me in the six-figure world being bartenders mm -hmm. at nightclubs you can make a total career out of that especially if you love mixology but <laughs> you know las vegas like people are making major money yeah. being like performative mixologists you know but the mm -hmm. point being still like i thought that that was it like i was gonna make 30k at most i was gonna be living paycheck to paycheck for the rest of my life so um yeah. and then yeah it's 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 a very different situation and then i think last thing i'll say when it comes to like the fish analogy is what i'm finding out a lot lately is it's not always teaching them how to fish sometimes it's like sometimes the person needs to be given the fishing rod sometimes mm -hmm. the person knows how to fish they just don't know where the hell the pond or the river is you know, yeah, sometimes exactly. they are, they, they have the fishing rod and they know how to fish, but they're fishing in the stream with no fish, <laughs> you exactly. know? I mean, I see that now with like having a manager that when I ask a question, she'll ask me like, what do you think is the best way to do that? And then I answer. And then from there, she helps me, you know, but if she's just to yeah. give me those answers all the time, which is obviously what I want because it's easy and it's quick, but that's not going to help me grow. That's not going to help me actually try and answer something, realize that I was actually right and just get more confidence to just do things. Yeah, that's why I never want to say, here's how you develop a content strategy. It's here's how you learn how to develop a content strategy. Mm -hmm. That's what mm -hmm. I would rather preach. I like that. I like that. Okay, last question. And then that's it. We're calling it a uh, <laughs> show. If I could grant you one wish, what would it be? Ooh. Damn. <laughs> um, you said you wanted to freestyle this, so. Come yeah, on. me... God. And it can't be more wishes. I only have one wish. I was going to say, uh, make being a bad person wrong again. Oh, I like that. One. Yeah. If we could uh, overnight end, you know, war, hunger, racism, misogyny, homophobia, all the isms, you know, queerphobia, transphobia, all that. That's all I want. I'm so sick and tired of this. It's 2022. If if you don't already know how to do those things, it's too late. You have expired. There's no excuse. There 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 are people in parts of the world that don't know what internet is and they don't mm -hmm. act like these people. Not so just stop yeah. being bad people. That's what I want. No more bad I like people. That. I like that because you said that and it's for everyone. It's not even just solely for you. It doesn't only just benefit you. That would really benefit everyone. So I really like that. Love this. This was amazing. I felt like it was just so natural and go with the flow because you know that I love you. So just 
felt good. It felt like a catch. I love you too. (laughs) And thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for making this happen. Even after, you know, so many things that went on between my schedule, your schedule, we came here 9.46 PM my time and we did it. So I appreciate you, Evan. I love this. And I'm pretty familiar with your LinkedIn. I know that you have like Linktree and all these other little things, but I'll make sure to have all those links in the show notes and am I right in saying that the best place to probably keep up with you would be on LinkedIn? Yeah, the best place is LinkedIn. But if you want to find me on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram, you just go to that link tree right. that, uh, that Elite mentioned. It'll like, you know, just put in the show notes. Doing girl, you're fantastic. I got this. it. I got it. Thank All you, right. by the way. That is it. Having me on the show. <laughs> Thank you for being here. All right. Have a good one.